Now, we've all heard of the seven T's regarding planning. Proper prior planning prevents pits or performance. But have you heard about the 19 P's? Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance, providing prudent practicing physiotherapists present personalized patient plans, promoting premier physical proficiency. Boom. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Dan again, joined by Jen from Goodyear and Andrew from Texas. Welcome back, guys. We're glad to have you for our final part of the Therapist in Motion podcast series, the cleanest podcast. Uh, We're going to discuss plan. So, you know, for those of you who have listened to the first three parts, subjective, objective, and assessment, you've kind of heard us discuss the importance of a strong subjective exam, highlighting and establishing rapport with those patients. We then transitioned into objective information and really trying to challenge yourself to stretch your thinking and find the appropriate starting level for your patient in front of you based on their functional, uh, functional performance and functional abilities while taking into consideration any potential precautions. And then in our assessment discussion, we really kind of talked about creating a clinical picture, painting a picture, creating a story of what that patient's story is, as well as our objective findings, and utilizing our clinical reasoning to formulate a physical therapy diagnosis. At this point, you know, now we're ready to transition into plan. And plan is really about prognostication and what is going to be required from our skills and expertise to help the patient get back to their goals. A lot of people think plan is about, oh, here's my frequency and duration and here's the interventions that I'm going to do. And they make these very blah blanket statements. But what I want to spend a little bit of time with the two of you is, is really talking about what the plan means to you and how you really articulate that to your patient and what it means for your professional responsibility. So let's start with articulating it to the patient. And, and I, I guess you can take, take it one step further and, and discuss what it means from, from your professional accountability standpoint. But, you know, Jen, Andrew, why don't you start us off? It doesn't matter which one you do and, and, and talk about that articulation and that connection back full circle for the patient. I can take this one first. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of something that Andrew said in his, and when we're doing our assessment podcast, where everything in the evaluation is a story about the patient. Their subjective is what they're telling you. Objective is what you're seeing, what you're measuring. And then the assessment, you're bringing those things together to say, why is this going on? Um, And so the, so taking the assessment and saying, why is this going on? Your assessment is going to actually feed into your plan. Because if you're, if you're really, really critically thinking about what did I just tell them is going on? What did I find in my objective? How am I placing this and putting it together? How long do I think it's going to take these tissues to actually heal and and to get the changes that I'm actually wanting to make in them? What's realistic 
and then actually tacking on a plan or a time frame based around all of that, as opposed to just, oh, four to six weeks. Um, my communication with my patient is very realistic. I expect these changes in this amount of time. Um, it's not, I think I expect, or we should get here, or it's in this amount of time, in this many sessions, I want to see this happen. If you don't feel like it's happening, if I don't feel like it's happening, we're going to have the honest, honest communication between one another. And we may have to modify as we go because everybody's different, but this is what I expect. And that's going to immediately or, or directly influence what I'm going to write in my note as far as how long I feel like they're going to be in therapy. What you just said there, Jen, I think is absolutely huge in the fact that you are sticking your neck out there. I mean, you don't have the crystal ball of what is foretold in the future regarding this patient and truly how how quickly or slowly they're going to respond to your intervention. But yet you still say, this is what I expect in this in this kind of time frame. I feel like a lot of people don't take that kind of ownership over their, their plan of care, that they do waffle and just say, ah, yeah, you know, a couple times a week, you know, four to six weeks. And then, yeah, but I like how you say, no, this is what I expect. And, and this is what, um, and this is what should happen with, with your body, that the changes that, that should be made during this time. I also like what you said about not necessarily even the time frame, but this many visits. I feel like if you do, if, if you're one of those therapists, I do tend to just say, yeah, two or three times a week for the, for the next four to six weeks. Well, multiply that out a little bit. <clears throat> that can maybe hold you a little bit more accountable to it. If it's a couple times a week for four weeks, say in eight sessions, because that's two times a week for, four weeks and mm-hmm. eight sessions I should ex- expect this and and every now and then whenever I stick my neck out and just say something to a visit extent I think that's a little bit more palatable for a patient because the future is always the future there's really not as much of a countdown as eight sessions and so if you say in eight sessions this is what I expect that gives you a little bit of grace in terms of that the patient shouldn't expect immediate results but should be patient with you for at least that amount of time um, at the same rate, it gives them a nice finality point and be like, okay, well, I guess I can stick with this for eight visits. And in the healthcare market that we're in with ever increasing co-pays and deductibles, that they might say, okay, eight sessions times a hundred bucks a session. So it'd be about $800 for me to, to, to make it there. Is that worth my money and my time or not? And then just having that open discussion then to, to be able to modify. Have you experienced that from Jen or Dan when someone's Whenever you've promoted your own idea of the plan and a patient has come back to you and had an alternative suggestion. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think that, that that's a fairly common occurrence in this world right now. I mean, you kind of alluded to it a little bit with the uh, whole copay responsibility, right? And the financial responsibility of the patient. And I think that's something that <clears throat> we as a profession have to do a better job of owning and articulating in our note and to the patient what that means for their overall ability to achieve their goals, right? Okay. So, so if a patient says, oh, it's going to cost me $100 every time I come in to see you, I can only afford $100 a week, then my conversation with them surrounding my plan is going to become very different. I'm going to basically shift the accountability to the individual patient. I'm going to make uh, a fairly aggressive home exercise program and and charge them with the accountability to improve, uh, you know, in between their sessions with me. Um, 
Right. And I will articulate that in my note that my recommendation would be two times a week for eight weeks. However, due to financial limitations, the patient's only able to come one time a week. Therefore, I anticipate duration of care to be longer. Um, now, that's not always the case, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I articulate that. So if and when that note gets read by the physician or the patient requests their medical records or, heaven forbid, it gets audited by an insurance company, they are then seeing my thought process. Yeah, I'll take my, um, I'll take the assessment. I'll say, this is what I think is going on with you. In a nutshell, this is what we saw today. This is what your body showed me. This is what you felt in it. This is how I correlate it to why you would have the difficulties currently with what your goals are and what things are difficult for you to do. But then take that and say, based off of that, my recommendation is that we do not, I think we do, again, like I said, we do twice a week for six weeks at this point. That's going to be 12 visits. Um, and at the end of that, say, are there any barriers to that plan for you, either in transportation, mm -hmm. in time, or in finances that we would need to work through? Because then it's easy. A lot of those conversations are a little bit tricky, especially for newer, newer therapists to have. Like, it's awkward to talk about money, or it's awkward to talk about noncompliance. But if you've said it in the very first session, I'm 100% in. I need you to be 100% in. Are there any barriers in the way of this plan that I've created for us? Then you've opened the door for subsequent sessions. If there are, if there is less compliance or if there are barriers, then they can say right then, like, hey, like Dan said, I can't do it. I can only do once a week. Okay, so that's going to change my thought process and I can communicate that to them. But at least they know right out the gate, this is where I see you doing the best and we can adjust from there. Yeah, I think <clears throat> on the surface of it, I hope that the average listener that might be a newer grad listener, I what they're doing is taking such ownership and, and really directing that plan of care. A lot of times whenever I listen to a student or a new grad give a plan of care, it's almost swept underneath the rug. Like they, they spend so much time doing the subjective and objective section and even maybe giving a beautiful assessment that's really connecting all the dots for that patient. And then when it comes down to it, there's very poor communication about what the plan is, what the plan looks like, and and how Jen, how you take it a step further and be like, well, are there any barriers to that? Let's let's talk about this. That not only are you trying to guide them, then you're asking them about if they can really execute that plan that you've come up to suggest. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a really important point there, Andrew. And I almost see this part as relating it to that new grad or that that less experienced therapist. That this is almost your opportunity to sell your expertise, right? And say, you know what, when you're here, you know, I'm going to do two times a week for six weeks. But on that sixth visit, if we're not headed in the right direction, I need you to call me out on it, right? I need you to hold me accountable. You need to hold yourself accountable. But this is also a chance for me to say, hey, here's what I can provide for you during these next six to 12 visits almost bringing the session full circle, right? I mean, kind of like Jen alluded to, you know, they've told their story. We've seen their body move. So their body's told us a story. We've used our brains to kind of connect those two and provide some education. And now it's, you know what, here's what we're going to do to help your body move and feel better. Because you could do the greatest objective exam in the world and write the best assessment but if your patient is not on board or doesn't agree with your frequency and duration in your plan, 
you may never see him again, right? Or exactly, you know. So I mean, it, it's it's kind of a sales process, but not really because they're already there. Um, so hopefully, you don't have to sell them too hard. But you might have to convince them mm-hmm. with that person that has a huge financial responsibility that you know what, being here two times a week with me is better than doing it on your own, or being here three times a week with me is better than two times a week for with me for these reasons, right? Right. Um, and I think that's something that, that all too often we just default to whatever the physician wrote. You know, the physician right. wrote three times a week for four weeks. Okay, well, that's not what you need based on all of these factors. And, and, and I think all too often I see all ranges of, exp- of therapists, whether they're new grad, student, or they have 20 plus years, fall into that default of three times a week for two weeks or for four weeks, excuse yeah. me, right? Yeah. So, so I have a question for you guys. I do like, Go ahead. What you were just saying about having someone come the, the three times a week for four weeks because that's what the physician wrote. You know, sometimes I like to use that as as a point of perspective, you know, because um, sometimes when I'm describing the plan of care things I'm going to do and, and really how much I'm going to be seeing them, and especially that high copay, you can use whatever the physician wrote and have that open communication about it. Well, you know, Dr. So-and-so said, you know, that you should be coming here three times a week for four weeks. That'd be 12 sessions. You know what? I think that if you're, um, if you could probably get, you know, the best results even coming in two times a week for four weeks. And I know that'd save you a lot of money. So you, you know, it is a little bit of that sales process. You're not trying to cheapen you. You're trying to give them a little bit of perspective. And that's right. Sales also in the opposite way. Whenever I've had someone just come to therapy just for kind of a home exercise program only, you know, that's just for you just, if you did all the rest of the part of your um, examination evaluation well, subjective, objective assessment, and say, I know that you're just here for just a one-time visit only. But my concern is, is if I only, if I'll give you as much as I can today, but I, I anticipate your body is going to change here in a week or two, or some of these initial exercises are going to become more irrelevant for you, or that we'll really need to take a look at how your body's moving after, after this standpoint. Because really what I'm looking for is the long-term success of you, not just your success for the next couple of weeks. And so just using that, um, because the, a lot of times the patients are bringing in that prescription by hand or, or they're very well aware of what the physician wrote down in their office visit. And just using that as a, as a, as a good point of discussion because that, that was something already communicated to them by the physician, or at least should have been. Right. And to piggyback off of that, I've had patients where I see, you know, they just want to come in one time for AGP and it says that on the prescription, like, after digging a little bit deeper, it's not them. It's the doctor that wrote that, and they don't even know what physical therapy is. They've never been to therapy before. So it's the perfect opportunity to say, this is what we do. This is what I'm seeing in you. This is the way I feel like I could help you, and this would be my optimal plan for you. Now, he said that he wants it this way. This is what I'm saying that I think we could do together if you give me a little bit more time, a couple more sessions, um, and that way... You, you, you get the buy-in and you don't have to necessarily go down the road of now I have to really progress them quickly or I have to give them a, a lot at home or anything like that. I tend to not give a lot at home initially. That's just not the way that I like to do things. And so when I get those patients, it's a little harder for me to give them a ton to do at home because I don't know how their body's going to respond to it all the time. Um, but I try to get a little bit more of the buy-in by having that conversation and seeing is that something that they want and they need because of location, travel, finances, whatever it may be, or is that something that the doctor just wrote down because they want to in and out? Yeah, I think that, that there's um, there's a couple opportunities there. 
one, like Jen alluded to and, and Andrew alluded to, is this, well, is this really the, the smartest thing for us to do in this situation based on what your signs and symptoms are, what I found objectively, what your body's telling me and what you're telling me, right? Versus what your physician's telling me. So you have an opportunity to, to discuss with the patient, you know what, <clears throat> I still want to see you again in seven to 10 days because I want to make sure that your body's responding to the way that I anticipate it to respond and then to make appropriate modifications. On the flip right. side, this is a huge opportunity to go and have conversations with those referring physicians who are giving those single visit home exercise program to figure out why. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's not a financial incentive for them if they only come to see us one time, right? So why are they creating that barrier or that that perceived barrier, I guess, in their patient when they say all that, that all that we want is a home exercise program. When I've gone and have conversations with docs that, that, that historically have said, just go see Dan for shoulder home exercise program. And I've gone back and they say, well, you know what? That doesn't necessarily help them long-term, kind of like Andrew alluded to. I've never had a doc be like, that doesn't make sense, Dan. Why, why is your brain going that way? They've all been like, oh, that really makes sense. So now what I see is go see Dan, home exercise program, three to four visits. And then right. it's at my discretion and the patient's discretion to utilize those three to four visits, potentially over a month or two months to develop a, an appropriate home exercise program for long-term success. Yeah, I agree. Andrew, I want to pose a question to you. So you kind of brought up the, and, and Jen kind of brought up that home exercise program only patient. What about on the flip side? Are there ever situations where in your plan you say, you know what, I really feel like I need to see you every single day? Absolutely. I mean, I, I do think that there are patients appropriate for that. And and some of it can be at, at honestly, either end of the spectrum, be really high functioning to really low functioning. I mean, an easy low hanging fruit option is someone that just received like a, just a shoulder manipulation under anesthesia for frozen shoulder. And that they, they do need that, that guidance and care just immediately afterwards and done, done frequently. Cause a lot of those, well, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but, um, I would say a fair share of those patients are having a lot of fear of movement issues and that just getting them the frequency. Um, coming in, you can teach them a, a better way to move their body with less pain and take away that fear. So yes, I absolutely do, do believe that, that there are certain times and places where you're seeing someone that frequently can be very, very beneficial with them, uh, for them. And some of them can be your, your high end athletes as well. That, that if they're having practice three or four days a week and every single time after practice they're struggling with something, that you can be there for, for guidance and protection of their body to, to get them to game day as well. Um, I mean, I think that our profession is a very broad one in that, that we can help um, in so many different aspects of someone's life. Now, would I say I see many patients? Am I, have I ever seen many patients in my career that frequently? No, absolutely not. But am, am I scared away from, from saying that if someone truly needs that? And I do believe that they're going to get the quicker results in the fastest amount of time, which should meet with their goals that they told me about subjectively. Absolutely. I, I, I will give that as an option. I won't shy away from it. How about you, Jen? Um, I agree with you on that. I would say my brain kind of goes to patients that have more neurological insults that I feel like are either a safety risk or they need a ton of repetition. I don't think they're going to get it at home. 
um, that I would do more frequency of visits. I'm not sure about five times a week because then my brain goes, okay, obviously we work in the world of insurance. We need to know how many visits do they have total? Do they have a hard limit? Is it going to be medical necessity? Can I prove that in my documentation? Um, and what is their copay? Like we've been talking about all along. So all those factors are going to go into it. Um, but if I had my druthers, then yeah, I have, you know, the neurological patients I would rather see because if they're in rehab, let's face it, they probably got out of rehab and they were doing like twice a day rehab sessions and then they come to therapy and they are going to go from twice a day to what, three times a week or two times a week or whatever, depending on the insurance and their time availability and things like that. So higher frequency with those patients as well. Yeah, I think you guys bring up a good point there about <clears throat> really trying to tailor it to the patient. And I think that does a good job of of summarizing, uh, you know, the the part of this purpose of this podcast is really to to connect subjective objective assessment plan, but that there are so many additional outside factors, right? Transportation, finances, insurance, all those things that I really hope you know, our listeners will take to heart and figure out ways to be be active in making sure that we are recognized for our skill and expertise, right? Right. I mean, I think that there's okay. there's plenty of opportunities for us to change the way that physical therapy is perceived in the world. Because like Jen just alluded to, if somebody is coming to, to see you after they've been in inpatient rehab where they're getting three hours of therapy a day, wouldn't it make sense in our plan to gradually taper that person down because that's what they've been used to and we want to maximize their function as quickly as possible and we're not going to do that at a frequency of two times a week? Wouldn't it behoove us to be on the phone with that nurse case manager or insurance representative and talk to them about what our plan is and then articulate that in our documentation to support it instead of just defaulting to two times a week for four weeks or three times a week for four weeks or whatever, whatever's pre-templated in your, uh, your, your EMR system. I mean, I think that as I reflect on this podcast, I mean, that, that's pretty, that, that's pretty heavy there, Jen, about saying, you know what, we kind of need to buck the system a little bit and, and go to bat for our patients and help our fellow therapists go to bat for our patients and our patients go to bat for themselves to really, to really change the way that we can implement our plan for that patient and their needs. Yeah. <clears throat> any last final thoughts? I mean, you guys just heard my final thoughts, but you guys have any last, fi last final thoughts as you reflect back on this kind of four-part series that we've done over the last couple couple weeks slash month and a half? I would say... I love, I love final thoughts. Oh, you... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we both love final thoughts, apparently at the same time. <laughs> um, I would say the whole goal behind, I mean, the whole goal behind this entire podcast anyway, but especially the series is we just want to shine a little clarity on what are the real struggles through the day for a therapist? How can we be better as clinicians? Um, how can we do better for our patients? How can we be more patient centered, but still basically cover our own <laughs> um, when it comes to the day in, day out billing and documentation and, and note writing that we have to do. And so everybody's going to be a little bit different. Your personality is going to be different. Your training's different. Your 
your styles are going to be different. But within that, just keeping the idea of I'm here for this person. I'm going to try my hardest for this person, communicate, be honest with them, let them know where you're at. If you don't know where you're going, ask around, ask people that you work with, ask other clinicians, people you went to school with, people in your clinic or in your company, um, and just never stop pursuing being better. You can always be better no, ma- no matter how much experience that you have. Or they could even email you at Therapist in Motion. They can. <laughs> <laughs> Or that. <laughs> yeah. Well said, Jen. I mean, you're you're bringing in the humanity in it, and also the power of of collaborative care, and that's kind of what, what some of my final thoughts were as well. I mean, if if you are a listener and you've um, listened to all four podcasts of the Cleanest Podcast series ever, thank you for listening. Um, I'm I'm betting that you're listening because you realize that you are not perfect. Well, join the club. Um, I, I often tell some of my my students, you know, it's called the practice of physical therapy. And, and sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm practicing for the C team, that I, I'm not even practicing for the JV or varsity, much less playing in the profession that I, I love and that I went to school for that I invest a lot of time with. So we all can, can have that um, need for improvement spur us on for, for bigger, and, bigger and better things. Um, and some of what can spur you on is just, being humble enough just to own everything, own your whole entire evaluation, the subjective part, the questions that you that you asked, and some of the things that you didn't ask, the objective portions of the things that, man, you wish you would have maybe gotten or the things that you spent way too much time doing. You know, that's all okay. You're going to continue to fine-tune that the rest of your career. But in the end, it is your evaluation. It is you giving your best for that patient. You shine as brightly as you can so you can truly help that individual. I believe if you take that time and you do your best, you're going to not have an issue with patients dropping off. You're not going to have any issues with patients being mad at you. And I believe if you kept on going down that path, you're going to fine-tune yourself as as a clinician just by putting in the rest. So, so, uh, so listeners, thank you for, for listening to all four parts of this podcast series. Um, we hope that not only has it cleaned up maybe a little bit your act, but you look forward to the, the nice shiny future that that'll bring as we continue to polish this, these evaluation techniques all. Ooh, I like all the clean words there. That was nice. Very witty. Yeah, I, I, I think well, Andrew... it, it wasn't 19 P's, <laughs> but I, I, I think that's <laughs> uh, Well, this now officially concludes the cleanest podcast series ever. Uh, Jen, Andrew, thank you for joining us on this journey. Um, I think it was beneficial for all of us as clinicians and hopefully to all of our listeners that they, like Andrew alluded to, that they have listened to uh, all four uh, components of the series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or you would like to hear us discuss something that you and your colleagues have been discussing in your clinic, uh, feel free to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thanks. Have a great day.